You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. Here are your hosts, Jay Fennell and Paul Wilkinson. Welcome, Life Group Leaders, to another episode of the Brentwood Baptist Life Group Leaders Podcast. Jay has returned to us. and Back good as new, Paul. That's Glad right. to be back. Man. That's right. Well, first, we want to thank you guys for continuing with the Transforming Truths curriculum. The sermon series alignment with the pastors ended last week, or this Sunday, uh, just passed with the <sighs> with the lesson on humanity. Uh, and we appreciate you sticking with it. I think the theology is making a big difference. Uh, Jay, share with us a little bit about Engage Middle Tennessee before we dive into the lesson. Yeah, sure will. April 8th, Saturday the April 8th is Engage Middle Tennessee. We did it last year. Many of you participated. We'd love for you to participate again. You've received uh, an email at least, I think, um, here over the last number of weeks with a with a survey or with a kind of a form to fill out if you plan to participate again. Here's the deal. We don't have to know exactly what it is that you're going to do that day. We don't have to have all the details nailed down. But what we do need to know is if you plan to participate. If you plan to participate, we're going to come alongside you and help you figure out those details so that you're fully engaged that day. Uh, So take the time to fill out the form, submit it, and we will uh, circle back with you to help you figure out what that needs to look like for your group on April 8th, Saturday. Uh, we're going to start out in the morning on Hudson uh, here, meeting at Hudson Hall. We'll have some uh, r- around 7:30 that morning. We'll have some uh, coffee and some pastries and things. We'll, we'll have a time of prayer. We'll have the time of challenge. We uh, we'll move out from here and move up to our various uh, areas of service. And it's going to be a great day to serve. We're not going to come back at the end of the morning like we did last year for lunch. Uh, We're just going to, you know, from there you can serve and then serve as long as you want to serve. And then you can go home after that if you you want to do that. Uh, But we're not going to ask you to come back to the campus afterward. That'll be something new that we'll do this year. Anyway, we'll have church that day. We'll have all kinds of cool stuff. It's going to be great, Paul. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a good day, and uh, we'll have more information for you as we move forward. But basically, I want you to know Vicki Howell would be your, will do this, some of the heavy lifting to help you get connected to a mission initiative that day. Uh, four buckets to dip into. You can connect with our ministry partner, uh, one that we've already have a relationship with, so you can partner with them that day. You can also... Uh, to do something that your group is already doing. Some of you already have a, a mission partner that you're uh, connected with. You may just want to do something with that partner that day. Uh, that'd be great. The third thing you might want to do is maybe just open your eyes and think creatively about some things that you can do that day that um, that you, to serve the community. Maybe there's uh, a neighbor down the street or a single mom that you can uh, serve. Uh, maybe... Uh, maybe someone in your group has an idea that you might want to flesh out a little bit and and participate and plug into. So that's third bucket. The fourth would be there's some initiatives on the Brentwood campus that day that you might want to plug into as well. And uh, I'm going to send out some correspondence about that over here over the next week. So 
Lots of cool opportunities. Want you to plug in as best you can. I've used that word plug in a lot, I think, over the last few minutes, but that's the key, right? Engage. Yeah, repetition. <laughs> engage, plug in, serve. Man, so many great benefits to participating with Engage Middle Tennessee. Yeah, and that's a big part of discipleship is the move to outward focus, the value shift of serving others, and ultimately then reproducing yourself, discipling others. That's right. So more information coming on Engage Middle Tennessee. If you have any questions, talk to me, talk to Paul Wilkinson, talk to Vicki Howell, and we will do our best to help you be fully prepared for April 8th, Saturday for Engage Middle Tennessee. Cross Campus Initiative. It's going to be a great day. Wonderful. And we are looking forward to it. I'm going to read our text, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and let Jay make some initial comments and set the framework for us. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time, so that we should walk in them. So what's a what's a good framework for thinking through this text, Jay? It's salvation. We'll be, we're going to be talking about salvation this week. And I think a great framework to, to think about as you, as you take a look at these 10 verses here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 10, three words kind of emerge from, from the text. Uh, the first would be the word wrath, uh, God's wrath. You find that towards the end of, uh, chapter, uh, of verse 3 here where Paul talks about uh, by nature, children of wrath. So the word wrath kind of emerges. The beginning verse 4, another word that kind of emerges is grace. God's mercy, God's grace poured out on us rather than his wrath. God's grace is available to those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then verse 8, beginning in verse 8, another word that emerges. So, so we start with, with the word wrath as a framework. Then grace, God's grace. Then beginning right around verse 8, works. Uh, Works that are, uh, uh, we're created to do because of God's grace poured out on us and not his wrath. So those three words, wrath, grace, works. Great three words, kind of a framework to think through as you're looking at these these verses 1 through 10, Paul. Yeah, they truly are. In in each of those words warrants time spent um, on understanding what precisely uh, what precisely they mean. Well, let's talk about just real quick as we begin um, 
the wrath of God. Now, I don't know if, if we necessarily think about that much. Uh, we, we, I don't know if we talk about it much. I don't know if we think about it very often. Perhaps we even take it for granted. It's certainly not pleasant. It's not pleasant to consider for sure that God is a wrathful God. I think most of us would probably think that God is a gracious and good God and God is a loving God. But to think that God is a God of judgment, that God is a God of wrath, would is not necessarily something that we really perceive much or, or think much of. Uh, but Paul does mention it here, here in Ephesians chapter 2, that at the end of, of verse 3, well, I'll just read verse 3. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Uh, talking about the pagans. When, when we think about what we're about salvation and what we are saved from, I, I think that if you were to ask that question to your group, uh, yeah, probably sins from from myself, my sins, saved from my sins, and that absolutely, I, I think that would be true to say. But I think what might be even more accurate is to say that we are saved from the wrath of God due to us because of our sin, mm-hmm. right? That we are that we have rebelled that we are lawbreakers, that we have uh, turned our back on God, that, that we are, Paul even says, that we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. We are dead people walking. And um, and, and Dr. Didway even mentions it here in, in, uh, on page 80 in the travelogue, that we are, that we are dead people um, apart from the grace of God, that we are due to experience the wrath of God apart from Christ. Yeah, and one question I always get apologetically is the difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, primarily because of this word wrath. Mm-hmm. And they say, look, look at the God of the Old Testament, how petty he is. You get this from atheists, and you'll get it from Christians alike, uh, where God would stone children for disobedience and um, wipe out the entirety of the Canaanite people. And say, ah, that that that's not Jesus. That's that's not the the grace and the love and the and the love your enemy that we see in Jesus. How do we reconcile all of that? And what I really like to drive them to is the essence of the gospel. And uh, we're going to talk more about grace as we proceed. But uh, Jay, spot on. Grace only makes sense if we were due wrath in the first place. Yeah. And the question is, if the God of the Old Testament is exhibiting all this wrath. Where does it go in the New Testament? And this is precisely what the gospel is. All of it, all the wrath due to all the world for all the sins for all of time, all poured out on Jesus. So I would say the wrath of God is maybe even more explicit and even more heightened in the New Testament. But the good news is that Jesus takes it rather than us. That's right. The wrath due to us because of our sin was poured out on his son. That's the gospel, right? That's right. Uh, another word for that is what is is propitiation. Yeah, propitiation, appeasing the wrath of someone. That's right. So we, um, you know, he took our place. He our substitutionary atonement. Uh, the wrath due to us was was given to Jesus, who took it on himself and satisfied God's judge righteous judgment. Uh, so that, therefore, we who uh, put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, uh, take on this righteousness uh, 
so that when God looks at us, he looks at his son. Mm. Right? That's right. <laughs> and then we get accepted as adopted children because of that. What a what an incredible story and incredible truth. So that's salvation. I mean, that's what we're saved from. We're saved from the wrath of Almighty God that will be poured out on us because of our sin. And now, because of Christ, we don't have to experience that wrath. We only experience Christ's grace. I mean, God's grace is therefore poured out on us and not, not his wrath. So let's talk about the grace, Paul. So, yeah, yeah, grace on page 82, Didway gives us a definition. An act of kindness or mercy, something done out of goodwill on the part of the giver without any concern for what the recipient can do in return. And that just fits so well with what you were describing about God's wrath is that what we're owed is destruction. What we're given is liberation from death and bondage in our sinful flesh. And we can't pay anything back to God for that. And I think we essentially just have the response of Job. We just fall in, in worship and utter awe of, of who our God is. Because we can't give anything to the creator of the universe, to the one that's independently fulfilled within the triune Godhead, the one who created everything out of nothing through his word and command, uh, the one perfectly righteous and holy. We got nothing to offer that being. And yet that being invites us into his family. So it was a really incredible truth for the believer. Mm. It's actually page 83. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm due one error a decade, I think. So that'll be it. <laughs> All right. All right. And then the last part of the framework was works. So God's wrath is what we're owed uh, through mercy uh, we get god's grace mercy because we can give nothing back god gives everything over to us and then because of that we're transformed formed and conformed into the image of jesus christ so that we can do works that make god known mm-hmm. uh, verse 10 uh, paul writes here in ephesians 2 for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Uh, I'm reading from the uh, New American Standard Version here, particularly. I'm, Paul is shaking his head yeah, at me. Heretic. In, dis, in disgust. But, uh, no, it's um, a, a good a good translation. But yeah, it is my, we, it's my favorite. Well, we generally use the HCSB in all our curriculum. <laughs> yes. So that's true. So I think it's pretty clear that we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace, but we're saved to works. Paul, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, For me, it reminds me of, uh, I think the biblical understanding of salvation is broader than often what we talk about within the church. We rightly spend time on justification as part of our calling as believers to take the gospel to those who don't know it so that they'll be justified. As Jay was saying earlier, when we get to the great white throne judgment and the Father looks at us, we we want Christ to be seen, not us. And that's justification, and we rightly emphasize it. But the bulk of our Christian life for most of us is sanctification that um, we we are ever growing into a more perfect image of Jesus. And then ultimately, the last part of salvation will be glorification, when we're given new bodies in the corporate resurrection, uh, new physical bodies like Jesus had uh, at the end of 
you know, at the end of this world and the corporate resurrection. So the bulk of our life is sanctification. And that's what I think about when I hear you read those words, that we were prepared for good works beforehand. And because we are justified before God, because we become new creations and are transformed, now we can go do great works that point to God and say, you who that we are serving, we're not serving you because you deserve it. We're not serving you because we're great. We're serving you because Christ first served us. And everything we do can point back to the Godhead. He is the initiator. God himself is the initiator who seeks us out and saves us. And I think this is interesting when we think about this whole idea of, of salvation. It's an ongoing process for us right now. Uh, maybe maybe you've heard this said before when it comes to, as Paul just mentioned, um, justification, we're made right with God uh, through Jesus Christ. Sanctification is this journey that we're on in this life that we live now as we become more form conformed and transformed into the image of Christ. We're partnering with God's Spirit in this whole sanctifying process, this purifying process, become more like Jesus every day and less like ourselves. And then the glorification at the very end of time. Uh, when Christ returns, we return to our bodies and we are therefore have glorified bodies ourselves. Our, sanctif- our salvation will be complete. So we are saved. We're justified. We are being saved. We are being sanctified. We will be saved. We glorify. Right? Yeah, that's great. It's a, it's a great framework. And people often don't think about it that way. Uh, and we, we and I think we want to defend the idea of once we're sealed by the Holy Spirit that Revelation speaks about that we, we are continue to be justified. But that doesn't mean that we don't continue to mature. Right. And, and a huge chunk of our discipleship, maybe the bulk of what we do as disciples, is continue to reproduce maturity into believers as they continue to grow so that ultimately they can reproduce themselves into others, both to get them justified and then on their journey of sanctification. Yeah, it's very much a process, very very much a process of, of, of salvation. Uh, it's not a one-time thing. Uh, it, is, it is in the sense that we are justified, but it is also true that we are being saved. We are in the process of being saved now as we are growing to be more like Jesus every single day as a follower of Christ. Yeah, and... The last thing I want to mention within this, uh, we talked about wrath earlier, propitiation, and you mentioned the word substitution. And I think the idea of penal substitution needs to be present in any atonement theory. And this is the idea that it was us that deserved to be on the cross suffering, but Christ died as our substitute in our place. I think that needs to be present in any biblical understanding of the atonement. Uh, I, I think when other systems go astray, it's because they reject that one in favor of others. However, the other theories are also helpful to think about, particularly as we're pushing this idea of sanctification. So I just want to run through a couple of those theories with you. One would be called the Christus Victor theory. And this is generally the idea of the victory of Christ, so that Christ was um, victorious where Adam failed so miserably uh, by sinning in the garden. So Christ in essentially just undoes what Adam did, and thus we have victory. And we want to highlight that. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how that's necessarily good news for me, which is, again, why substitution needs to be present. 
But that's an important idea to think about is that he was the second Adam who was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And he was raised as, as evidence of that obedience and faith in his messiahship. Another theory is called uh, ransom theory. This comes from a passage in Mark that says Christ has given us his life uh, as a ransom for many. And this is true. Uh, the idea of it, this was popular very early on uh, after the New Testament church and the early church fathers. And this is that Satan has held us in bondage. So the serpent goes into the garden in Genesis 3, tempts um, Adam and Eve, and they fall. And now we are in bondage, held hostage by Satan. And the father has to get us back. And the way he does it, the payment that's due to Satan to give us back to the father would be Jesus Christ. And again, in many ways, that's true. We are under bondage to sin and death. This is Satan's world, although he only acts with the permission of God. God's still sovereign over him. But we don't want to give Satan too much credit, as we have said in earlier podcasts before. It's not as if he's equal power with God, but we don't want to deny the temptation and the constant spiritual war that we're in. Another theory, we'll just do two more. Another is called satisfaction theory. This came largely from one of my uh, heroes, Saint Anselm of Canterbury. And Anselm said that God's uh, righteousness and holiness was violated by humanity in their sin. And that his, uh, essentially we offended him, is what Anselm was getting at. And that needs to be set right. And the way it's done is through Christ and his obedience. And that satisfies the affront that we were to God. And that's certainly true. And that existed as a real forerunner to the penal substitution theory that I'm contending must be present in, in any biblical theory. And the last is very popular in modern times. It's called the moral exemplar theory. It's old but has been highlighted more in modern times. And that's to say that Christ came to show us how we ought to live. So what salvation is, is simply living the life of Christ. So Christ comes, inaugurates the kingdom, shows us what it could be if we were to live faithfully to God. And, um, and of course, they killed him for it. And then our response ought to be to live that same sort of life. That's totally true. And we ought to do that. And we ought to emulate Christ as much as we possibly can in this life and the power of the Spirit. Nevertheless, if that's salvation, then that's not very good news at all, because I just simply do not day to day live up to the fullness of Christ's obedience. Um, so each of those theories, Christus Victor, Ransom Theory, Satisfaction Theory, Moral Exemplar Theory, they all have really strong um, frames and perspectives on what Jesus Christ did. But without penal substitution as their foundation, I don't know that any of them can quite get at what the Bible is saying with Christ actually being able to impute his righteousness over to us uh, as we were children of wrath. So one image that modern theologians have given of this is a diamond, where penal substitution will be the main face of the diamond, or the head, I think it's called. And then as you turn the diamond in the light, it refracts different beams of light. And this would be the different nuanced uh, special type theories of the atonement. So they're all present in what Christ did. It was so magnificent and so wonderful, yet we want to rightly point out uh, that substitution needs to be present within any of those theories. Paul, one of the things that, that sticks out to me that we haven't mentioned here yet comes from uh, verse 9. Let me just start in verse 8 where... Paul, the apostle, is writing and talking about the, the nature of salvation. And he says that, For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not of yourselves. This is nothing that you have done. You haven't deserved this. You haven't earned this. There's nothing that you've done to warrant this to you. No, it hasn't come, it hasn't come by your effort. It is a gift, right, of God. Um, and, and then he says, not as, as a result of works, so that, so that no one may boast. Let's, let's unpack that just for one second about this whole idea of uh, not by works, it's a gift, it's by grace, not of works, so that no man can boast. Why would that, why would he even, why would that be important to mention? I think because Paul had a right view of God. And so go back to the moral exemplar theory just a second ago. If it is the case that my atonement and justification comes from my simply emulating as best I can the life of Jesus, then I think that gives us a very, very low view of God. You get it also with uh, the modern pluralism in the U.S., this idea that um, if you're just generally a good person, if you don't murder, if you don't steal, whatever the case is, then you'll be allowed into heaven. And I just think that's way too small a view of who our God is. If the theology we've done to this point is right, then our God is infinitely just, infinitely holy, so radically other than any of us, so worthy of praise in the creation and the goodness of what he's done in this universe that any minor, minor sin or any minor thing that we do that doesn't match up with that holy and perfect character is worthy of infinite wrath upon us. So I think if we have a big enough view of God, then we would never think that we can earn that being's favor. Because again, what can we give that being uh, that would be worth it? Again, Didway's definition of grace on page 83 uh, we can't give anything to make God any more perfect. Anything we do for God is a stain on his perfection in so many ways. And yet that God condescends to become flesh and to die for us and to redeem us through the death on the cross and and justify us. Uh, So so I think there is no boasting because God is so, so big and so perfect that there's nothing we can give him. And the more you think that you can do a work and earn God's favor, the further you're getting away from the biblical understanding of who God is. Hmm. Now, I don't want to say that God doesn't delight in our good works because those, due to our transformation, point back to him. So we definitely do good works uh, and, and say it's because Christ first saved us. But but this idea that we can work and, and work and be good enough so that the cosmic scales out in the edge of the universe or something, there's a big balance of good works and bad works and they're teetering as humanity is making decisions is just silly if god is as infinite and as perfect as we as we think he is so even the most minor things deserve eternal separation and condemnation and so the what's the way we can be reconciled then is for god to do it himself and that's precisely what paul is saying in this passage that through a free gift of grace god redeems us himself so romans 3 that he can become the just and the justifier um, as he pays for sin and endures sin uh, and justifies the holy name. So then what boasting is there for us? I, I like to think of grace as unmerited favor. You may have heard that hmm. used before. Uh, nothing that we have earned, God's grace poured out on us uh, because of his great love and mercy. And there is there is no room for boasting because we've done nothing to deserve it. We've done nothing to merit his, his saving us. It's completely his doing in every way uh, initiating it bringing it to bear in our lives cr- uh, help uh, uh, creating a path for which we can come back to God 
because of our separate through even though we were, we just separated from him through Jesus uh, an amazing truth for us amazing reality I tell you this is such an important lesson for all of us to to recognize and to know and to teach people for them to understand salvation for their own lives it's an amazing thing it's so crucial to to understand so we want to thank you again for listening and we want to thank you for your dedication to teaching this deep theology and all you do for your group members Uh, we pray for you regularly and we pray that you feel that spiritual energy to do the work Um, what you do is so significant for where we are in the bbc family at doing our work that we're producing the shepherds and the people that will do the work to be the salt and the light so there is no manner of words that can express our appreciation so thank you for letting us serve you and have a great group time